Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and David Priest, the former Sunderland and Aberdeen goalkeeper. Now... It gets serious. It's knockout football, the time when the Champions League becomes the good old-fashioned European Cup. First up, Spurs in Turin. Juventus are on a great run. They've conceded only one goal in 16 games. Is that about to end, Tony? I'm not sure it is. I mean, I think it's going to be a huge test of Tottenham's credentials and a massive test for Harry Kane. I mean, this is a defence that not only mean, but they know all the tricks in the book. You know, they've been round the block and um, and they, they set off the season badly and they had to reorganise from last year. Uh, Benucci left and, and so, you know, those wondering whether they'd they get it together. But they've, they've uh, hit a bit of form in the past couple of months and they're not letting anyone in. But as I say, you know, it's, uh, they, they, they've, you know, this is a team that's been to two Champions League finals in the last three years and um, you've got to get up early to beat them. They're, they're pretty cynical and they're pretty tough. <laughs> and they've also got probably the preeminent goalkeeper of his era in Buffon. How good is he? It's, to me, he's, uh, he's, he's got to be mentioned with the, the very best. I, I, I'm not uh, old enough to have seen uh, Lev Yashin, but uh, he, he's definitely in, in that bracket as well. But it's, it's not just down to him, of course. You know, he's, uh, he's had his injuries this season. Um, maybe that's down to a bit of age as well. But Chesney's come in and, and did a great job. And I mean, they, they paid 10 million for him in the summer. Um, had a great season with Roma last year. And it's been seamless. And then, and then again, with, with Buffon coming back on the side with their last three games and three more clean sheets. Mm. At 40 now, as a goalkeeper, when do you begin to feel your age? <laughs> For me, it was, it was almost overnight at 30. It was almost a, a split change like that. But I think that when you've got someone like Buffon, who's, he's been lucky with injuries, he hasn't had any long-term injuries, uh, that will have helped. Um, and... Sometimes it's not about tapering down your uh, your regime. I think a lot of players in the past have, have fallen into that trap of sort of um, slowing down and, and, and doing less as they get older. When likes of AC Milan, Juventus, it's not the kind of uh, the methods they use. They they actually step up their training methods, especially with weight training, and and, and that helps so that it's. You, your body deteriorates uh, a lot quicker after 35 with muscle loss, so it's probably down to to his regime in Italy. Mm. And they've been way ahead of these things in the game in Italy than they have been in. What in terms of the science? Yeah, yeah. Well, well you, you look at the AC Milan um, team of the of the 90s and yeah, with their famous lab. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And, and they've they've uh, 
and they had a lot of players in it who were not just in the 30s but going to the mid and late 30s and it's, uh, it, it just shows you the work that they did there. Mm. You were at Wembley on Saturday, Tony. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, Mauricio Pochettino was talking of Dembele in terms of being a genius. Maybe a bit over the top, but that shows how important he is, surely. A lot over the top. I mean, he's a good player and he makes a huge difference to Tottenham. Um, you know, physically, he's, he's powerful. Uh, although I think I would have shone in that midfield with Ezel and Mkhitaryan on the, on the other <laughs> side. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the, the thing is, as good as he is, there is a little, there's something a little pedestrian about um, Tottenham's midfield. Then, you know, once you get packed defence, he finds it to unpick them a little bit. And Dembele's not going to be the man to do that. But what he'll do is he'll police the area uh, behind the attackers. He'll break down, he'll get to the tackles, and he uses the ball really well. And he is, he's vital to them. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've suffered a little bit out wide because uh, Cal Walker made a huge difference to them, giving them width. Um, but... Uh, they, they're going in the right direction. They're a good side. And when Dembele's in, the better. Mm. It, it might be a bit of a lazy comparison uh, that I'm making, but it's just there's no better sight when Dembele gets a ball and you know somebody's closing them down and he picks up a bit, bit of pace and he just sort of brushes them off and just strides past them like uh, like Gascoigne used to do. And he, and he just makes it... And he's a bit more of a, a physical specimen than, mm. than Gaza was, but he's so effective when he does that. And when he... When he goes past that first line of, of press, he just opens the pitch up for them. Mm. There's no Alderweire the game in Turin. How much of a blow is that? I mean, he's been out a long time now, mm. so and he's just come back into the side. So it's it's not... They've they've managed without him. There's certainly a stronger team with it, with him in the, in the in the squad. But I think that... Uh, I went to see them in the, in the FA Cup game uh, last week and... You just want him to pick the ball up and he looks for them long, raking, uh, diagonal balls. Uh, it's not just defensively they miss him because, like I said, he can set up attacks like that as well. Mm. Inevitably, Harry Kane scores again in the North London derby. Mm. Uh, Daniel Levy, uh, yeah, the word is now he'll let Kane go for €350 million. Euros. Even if he did do something daft and say, OK, let's say €200 million, would he lose his credibility? Oh, completely. They need Kane really badly going into this new stadium next year. Um, you know, after that, what's anyone's guess? You know, we know how Levy operates and, you know, how he likes to deal. But um, next season, they need Kane. And he's developing into one of the best strikers in the world. This will be a huge test for Menturin. You know, we'll see whether he can make the step up from a brilliant Premier League striker into a world-class one, even before we get to the World Cup. Uh, I think he can. His movement's brilliant. He's... His awareness is superb. You know, he never lets the defence settle. Uh, he's going to come up against a difference. You know, the one thing about the Premier League, even when Arsenal packed the defence, there's a sense of panic there. You know, every, everyone back. You know, except Erzlan Mkhitaryan, of course. Everyone back, <laughs> and you know, but but there's all, no one's quite certain where everyone else is. There's a there's an unsteadiness there. You know, Petr Cech is the only person who seems to know what he's doing there at, at times, and. You know, in, in that sort of environment, Kane's always going to find space. Against Juventus, it'll be a lot more structured, a lot tighter, and they, they won't allow him as much room. But I think he's good enough to find him. Mm. Mm. Juventus won at Fiorentina on Friday, Friday night 2-0. Um, typical of that, Serie A helping their Champions League teams by the scheduling. 
Do we do enough in this country to help our Champions League teams? Yeah, probably not, but I think it's it's, it's just to keep an, an, an even keel on, on all the fixtures, simply because you, you're bound to have, if, if, you know, if you give Sean um, sort of... Uh, one team bit of preference that other managers are going to complain inside the uh, inside the Premier League as well. So it's it's better just to keep everything uh, the way that it is. I mean, they, they should they should really help them if that's what the the aim is. But the aim is for Premier League uh, is to to make sure it's an exciting product for us to watch. I think anything outside of that, I don't think there's there's much. Uh, cause for concern for them. I think the interesting thing about that game is that really encapsulated the Juventus's you know sort of knowledge you know Pochettino talks about you know sort of uh, you know cheating the opposition that sort of thing last week well Juventus a brilliant area the VAR incident with the penalty encroaching all the time you know let's just keep it going keep it going until we force the referee to go over check it and he'll reverse the decision. And that was about another three minutes gone, wasn't three it? Three minutes, yeah. But like that that's they've got that sort of experience and what they'll do, they'll look at Tottenham. We've seen Tottenham aside that have melted down under pressure a couple of times, particularly Deli Alley. It wouldn't surprise me if they give Deli Alley the treatment, try and disturb his disturb his physical and mental equilibrium, let's say. In other words, wind him up, get him sent off. Exactly. Okay. Allegri, terrific manager, certainly in a an Italian context. Do you think we'll see him in the Premier League? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's more than possible. Uh, I think that um, you, you look at it, rather than just looking at him tactically as well. I think uh, his uh, manage, management style. You've seen that in the summer. Now everyone was surprised when uh, Benucci went to AC Milan. Now we've seen what's happened at AC Milan and Benucci's form uh, since. And I think that uh, it just shows that Allegri knows exactly what he's doing there and he trusts himself in his, his decision-making. Yeah. They know when to actually get rid of a player, don't they, the best managers? Yeah. Well, he might well take the Conte path, mightn't he? You know, to Chelsea, win the league and then get sucked. Yeah, and pick up another wheelbarrow load of cash when exactly. he leaves. OK, so the floor's yours, Tony. Um, I'm sure you're itching to tell me how good stroke bad Arsenal are and were. Do you know, the, the more Wenger, the more pieces Wenger gets of the jigsaw, the less he sees the overall picture. It's, um, they were, actually, I quite liked his plan to sit deep, you know, because so Tottenham plays such a high line. You know, you think you've got a new striker with a bit of pace, although he hasn't trained because with the, the team because he's got the fever. You got, he's got, you, with a bit of pace, you've got airs on Mkhitaryan, you win the ball deep, you knock it over the top. And I like the plan. But it all involves people looking for the ball in midfield, getting on it and playing that pass. And um, unfortunately, his two most talented players went missing in action. And even worse, they never helped out coming back. Uh, right from the beginning, Pochettino targeted Bellerin. He got Son over there, knocked the ball into him. And um, guess who's in front of him? It's Ezel, who's just signed a new big contract. Is he going to track back? No chance. And on the goal, Ben Davis brings it forward. You know, Tottenham have struggled to get width from the, 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 the full-back. Someone's got to get across and make it less easy for him to put across him because, you know what, normally you'll let the full-back have the ball because he's not going to be the best deliverer of it. But make it difficult for him when he puts it in, put some pressure on him, and he's probably going to mess up. But no, he can knock a lovely little ball into Harry Kane and then you've got centre-halves who can't jump. And it's, it's, you look at it, it's, it's so frustrating. I watch Arsenal and I bang my head on the desk because they've got good players. And they, again, they do the same thing. But I, I looked across at one point and they're going forward, and there's a line of five, you know, against the Tottenham 
against a Tottenham defence. But two of them are the full-backs. Tottenham win the ball back, and you've got two centre-halves backpedalling on an island, and, like, with terror in their eyes. It's <laughs> mad. It's insane. And it happens all the time. Tony's right about what he was talking about, Juventus, the way they defend as well. And it's just because you've got numbers back doesn't mean it's it's safety. And I think mm. I think Pochettino's he's identified a, a real weakness there because on top of the goal that Harry Kane scored, he had two very similar uh, chances where he just glanced past the post as well. So it's obviously uh, something that Pochettino wanted to target and uh, Harry Kane getting in between the two centre-halves. Mm. You mentioned Hector Bellerin. Yeah. As an individual, really like him. You know, intelligent... Mm imaginative, very thoughtful lad. I thought he gave himself away and he gave probably Arsenal away when he talked about Alexis Sanchez and how almost uncomfortable the group was with the intensity of his ambition. Does that tell you everything? It's, it's been levelled at the players. That, that, that it was them that needed to step up to Sanchez's standards rather than you know Sanchez being coming towards them. I think um, it's just dangerous. It's a dangerous environment when you get uh, players when there's such a disparity between players and players can still do that. They can still be ambitious, but they've, they've also got a, they've got to meet a sort of middle ground to make the the team better. And obviously that wasn't the case. I mean, you, you talk about Bellerin. He is a fantastic player, especially going forward. Mm. But if you look at some of the uh, some of the stats and some of the the, the uh, sort of the, the, the passing tracks that where, where players get uh, teams getting behind Arsenal, it's always down that right hand side in behind him. Now, it's got a slightly different viewpoint on that because I interviewed Bellerin about 15 months ago when he was flying and he was great. And we're talking about leadership and I was saying, you know, there's a lack of leadership in the team. He said, well, I want to be a leader. You know, he, he recognised that there was. You know, he said, you know, that, uh, the stuff that, you know, you, you talk about after the interview is over. And he was saying, you know, we, we need someone to bring everyone together. And perhaps Sanchez. Sanchez's former leadership was so self-centred. Mm. And I think that's what where the relationship with Bellerin went wrong. And Bellerin had a more sort of team point of view. However, that said, uh, and since since that peak, his peak uh, about 15 months ago, he's been pretty poor and did coincide with him signing a new contract. So, you know, <laughs> you, you can judge that as you will. Mm. Let's look at Manchester City, Dave, if we may. Um, Pep Guardiola is talking about the Champions League and it's how you control the bad moments and the emotional lows. They haven't had too many of those this no. season, have they? When you look at them in the round, is that a team which should win the Champions League? Maybe should's too strong a word, but it definitely could. I mean, it's... Um, it's the, the frailties that they've had at the at the back it, it maybe not frailties but it's if they do have a weakness you know it's been pin, pinpointed as as defensively and and that's true but at the same time it's it, you've got to counteract that against of how strong they are going forward you know mm. if you've got the ball and, and they're as devastating as they are going forward then defense becomes less of a less of a problem but you spoke earlier on about goalkeepers almost exuding confidence around their defense Edison's doing that in spades, isn't he? Yeah, and, and not with his hands most of the time. Uh, he's just been absolutely exceptional. And it's not just... Uh, I think some people... I, I try and highlight it on, on social media, the, the qualities that he's got. And some, and some people just come back and say, oh, well, it's just it's a professional footballer passing a ball. But when you're on the pitch and you've got that, you, you know, you, you've got that perspective and you, you're actually playing through bodies, you can't see how far players are apart. And he's playing the ball through uh, through strikers, taking other players out of the game. He, he, he's just 
his whole demeanour just uh, it, it fills people with confidence because he's there's no panic at all. There's no panic in him. So if there's no panic in him, then there's none in the defence in front of him. Is, is there an element in this, David? Though it, it, it's working in the Premier League against teams, you know, as we've seen mm. from seven down, all you know, relegation fodder. In the in the later levels of the Champions League, he's going to come up. But City, not just uh, uh, not, you know, not just any individual player, but City are going to come up against teams that are much better, uh, are much cuter in the mm. way they play the game. And will will it be different there? Do you think? Well, I mean, if if they're going to have trouble, I mean, that they can they'll, they'll still try and do it. Now, if they if they get caught a couple of times or it's just not working for them, they've got they have got a plan B now. They've got that where they can just stretch teams and he can just he's got this rocket of a left foot where he mm. can just ping ball seventy yards into people's path and onto people's chests. The teams that they come across in their in their last eight in the in the in the semi-finals, if they get there, they won't be dealing with that every day in there, mm. you know, every week in, in league football. And like I said, that's the difference. Guardiola has evolved. He's, he's came in with his philosophy. He thought this would work with Bravo. He hasn't. He's just tweaked it a little bit and give himself uh, another option, and, and it's made them a far better side. And it worked against Napoli, didn't it? So yeah. Sergio Aguero. Mm. It's the fifth now, fifth successive season. He scored more than twenty-five goals in in all competitions. That says everything about him, doesn't it? Oh, he's 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 a magnificent goal scorer. He's a great player, isn't he? It's, Is he uh, one of the great strikers in Premier League era? Oh, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. He's fantastic. I mean, what's always bemused me is that Guardiola wants him to press more. And I'm like, you know, it's just, Pep, just let him score. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I think, um, without a doubt, he ranks up there with the Shearers of this world as one of the, the, the finest strikers of this era. Mm. And De Bruyne, some of the passing is just ridiculous, isn't it? It just looks so simple as well. And you, you look at the, the, the assist that he has, it's... It's all. Uh, it's not just about him. You can see that uh, Guardiola and the rest of the side they've worked on a way of him being able to utilise that properly. So I see with a couple of the assists at the weekend, uh, the ball goes forward to the furthest man out, out wide. The ball's played back to De Bruyne, and as the defence pushes up, as it should, it just leaves that little gap uh, in, be in behind the defence and the uh, the goalkeeper. And he just he's expert at just guiding in there. And when you've got defence going forward and strikers running on the ball, there's only going to be one end. Result. Mm. Um, that result, you know, this week we're expecting City to win in Basel. What about Liverpool, Tony? They've got Porto. Mm. Is that something that they really should gobble up? Um, with Liverpool, you never know. And uh, the way they're playing up front, the you know, yes, they, they should win a game like this, but you never know what's going to happen defensively. I thought it was against Southampton at the weekend. I, I thought uh, there were some people complaining that the performance wasn't dynamic enough. I think what Liverpool needs a couple of dull wins, you know, where where you, you let those strikers score. You know, Firmino and Salah were excellent again. It's a fantastic partnership there. Oh, isn't it? brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and you know, and, and they don't make any stupid mistakes at the back and win. And I think uh, uh, for Klopp going forward, there's been so much of a frenzy about Klopp's teams. They, they get frantic too easily. Mm. And ga the games, 
the games, it's great when they're, they're on top, but they spin out of control either side of the ball too quickly. And it's, I think they need to, especially in Europe, to control the pace of games a little bit more. Uh, you know, they can, they, they can do it for spells where they blow people away. But when you've got Salah's pace up front and you, you've got Firmino's intelligence and movement, then you, you're always going to have a, a great chance. But, you know, you, you look at Salah, you look at De Bruyne, and of course... Uh, even Robin and the Champions League is like a showcase for players Jose Mourinho hated. <laughs> <laughs> Come on to that later. But, it, but it, with, with, um, with with Klopp, it's you know it's all this talk about heavy metal football and and he he probably uh, described it better yesterday as high risk football and that's how he likes to play. So that's probably, he probably gets frustrated with with all of us when we uh, when we criticise them for the way they play and the way they defend when he knows that. Well, we're playing high-risk football, and he accepts those risks, and, well, and, and, and they're not going to always come off. Well, if you accept those risks, you're going to end up on the roller coaster, and you're eventually going to end up turning the fan base against you, and you eventually, well, he won't get sacked because he's on a contract until I think it's um, thirty fifteen. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's you can't just say I accept high-risk football. I mean, it, it's history has shown he's been here two and a half years. And the, the high-risk football hasn't worked as well as it should have. And Liverpool, uh, still in terms of the performance, underperforming for the amount of for the size of the club they are and the amount of money they've spent. Mm. What about a signing like Virgin Van Dijk? Does that minimise that risk? And what is the impact of a defender with real assurance? Because I, I find it quite interesting watching him. He's a good communicator, and that's one thing perhaps that Liverpool never had. And does it also, in that equation, matter a lot that actually Klopp has said to Carrius, you're my man? Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't watch uh, Van Dijk a lot sort of in, uh, in his later days at Southampton, so I, I wasn't really aware of how that, the situation was affecting him, whether he was playing well or not. Looking back at, uh, at yesterday, you know, a lot of the stick he was getting from the Southampton fans, he was smiling, uh, it didn't affect him at all. I mean, you're saying about that it wasn't a great performance by Liverpool, it didn't need to be. South, uh, that's where the, the gripe from the South, Southampton fans comes in, why they're, they're unhappy, because they basically rolled over and allowed their bellies to be Yeah, they're in trouble, aren't they? Yeah, they oh, are. They are they, there's, you know, there's, there's not playing well, and there's not playing well without any fight, and that's exactly what they've got there, and that, that's a big problem. But going back to Carrius, it's... It's the consistency in playing. In, in the last two games, I've given him a lot of credit because uh, myself, I've given him a lot of criticism in the past. He hasn't been certainly the keeper that they signed for Mainz. Mainz. And I think that uh, it, it is it's that consistency. And, and you don't get that from playing and training every day. You've got to be playing games in, in that sort of pressurised environment. And uh, you've got to give him credit for the last two games, certainly. Well, again, back to the high-risk football and getting caught up in the frenzy at times. What a defender like Van Dijk needs to do is bring stability. It needs to bring structure, which you know we talked about with, with the Juventus, yeah. and keep everyone from getting sucked in to this madness. We, and we, we spoke about it before with Lovren. You can see yeah. that Lovren's state when uh, his decisions are given against him, he sort of loses control, and mm. uh, and that's what's been the problem. Like you said, it's, yeah. he gets caught up in this hurricane. Mm. Quite probably the the tie of the round, uh, Real Madrid. PSG this week. Which manager is going to get sacked after this one? <laughs> um, I, I suspect that uh, Zidane's on the edge. Well, well, he is on the edge. It's, um, I, I think it's a difficult one. I think 
probably neither of them will see the start of next season. Uh, there are, I mean, this game's got so many subplots. Uh, I think one of the the main things is Neymar and his performance. I mean, it's so obvious, it's untrue. You know, going from Barcelona and now going back into Madrid. I think. Uh, when do you expect that to happen? Well, well, I don't think anytime soon. But you know, I think uh, there is a sum an assumption, isn't there? there? Is, a growing there assumption that yeah, he's going to go to Real Madrid. That, that basically, it was it's the middleman. <clears throat> but I think that they're still keen at, at, at PSG to become a European power, and they think that you know he can lead them in. So I think they'll give it another year before they look elsewhere. But um, um, his performance in you know against Real, I think, will be <laughs> will tell us a lot where where he's going to end up. And how soon it'll be, mm. um, and I think, you know, the the other thing is Ronaldo, who is um, has been so brilliant in the Champions League. He scored so many goals, but now that you know that that lack of cartilage in his knee is beginning to catch up with him. Uh, you know, Real haven't well, it's a bit of form recently, but they haven't had the sort of season they want. It's kind of an all or nothing tournament mm. for them at the moment, isn't it? The mm. Champions League mm. and. Um, yeah, because Ronaldo tends to lift himself. He, he does, and you know the, the numbers are ridiculous: five hundred and fifty goals. Uh, you know, hat trick on on Saturday, as you say, they just came back. They beat Sociedad on Saturday, five two. Are we in danger sometimes of taking players like Ronaldo for granted? That actually we should be saying to ourselves, "Hang on a bit, this guy is special, and we need to remember him." There's probably two sides of the coin there. There's probably been as, as good for each other as they have been bad because because of the the, the the competition they've had they've pushed each other to to hold different levels that we're, what we've seen before but the fact is that because there's two of them and they're not just out there on their own mm. you're right we probably won't appreciate them like like a Maradona or a Pelé or or a, a Cruyff it's a golden age with the two of them, isn't it? You know, it's. Uh, I mean, everyone just says Messi's the, the the better out the two. I think over a season, I prefer Messi for one single game. I'd always have Ronaldo. You know, he might be more selfish, but his mental toughness is fantastic, and he was one of the greatest sights in football running with the ball. Mm. Do you, you know, to be a great player, do you have to have a huge ego? I don't think ego is the right word. You you have to have a, a like a. A real inner belief, an unshakable belief. It's like yeah. shoulders back. Oh, I belong here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, 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 you meet. I mean, you, swagger. Yeah, you, but I mean, but you, you know, some like you know Ken Dalglish better than anyone, and you know he, he's so personable and so humble. But I tell you what, you, you right, put it right down to it, and he's he, the most confident person, or the most he has more self belief in himself that you'll ever see in anybody. Kill you as soon as look at you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> On the pitch, yeah. there is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With um, uh, Europa League, mm. um, you know, we, we, you know, you've given Arsenal a bit of a shoeing. It's a really fascinating game mm. against Ostersunds uh, with English manager Graham Potter. Um, spent seven years there, emotionally intelligent, got his degrees. It's a different type of manager. This stage is going to be really interesting for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's the one manager in this tie who actually deserves the nickname, the Professor. Um, 
he, he's you know he, he's done brilliant and he's come up the hard way and what's interesting is, is people like him who've gone out of football and moved in different circles reminds me of Paul Tidsdale at, um, at Exeter they, they they have a different approach not the traditional football approach in terms of man management you know they they, they, they deal with people you know they're, they're inclusive they explain things to the players and you don't get the um the, you know the, the traditional you know I'm, I'm you know you're not performing so I'm going to ignore you and and it works, yeah. and we don't see enough of it in football. Yeah. And he's done fantastic over there. I mean, where is it? It's um, uh, uh, three promotions in five years, yeah. taking this tiny team to uh, the, the top division, and not only that, into the knockout stages at the, yeah. the Europa League. And I, I think, I mean, clearly, Arsenal should, they, they should be the sort of team that Arsenal run all over will have enough space and, and you know, it doesn't help that the, um, they've only had one competitive game since November. The, the season doesn't start till April, does it? So, you know, that's a winter break. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so that doesn't help. But it wouldn't surprise me if they're very well organised and they keep they keep it tight and they, they frustrate Arsenal. You played in Scandinavia, didn't you? What's the standard like there generally? It's very good. Uh, technically very good. I think that you know, I played in the Danish Super League and it was a lot of the size, certainly the top half of the, the division, championship level. Um, but the way these, these clubs are, they, it's easy for them to foster sort of a, a family-type um, environment for, for players. They're all on an equal amount of uh, a, a salary. Um, they all spend a lot of time together. I know that we uh, a lot of, a lot of the days we had double sessions and all that time you're training in the morning in the, in the, in the hours in between you sort of everyone's uh, sort of socialising together off the field because the uh, the towns are much smaller there's much more of a community feel about it and it, it's easy to it's much more easy to uh, to to garner that togetherness. Mm. The opposite of Arsenal. Opposite of Arsenal, yeah. With and it's interesting, you know, if you look at Arsenal very briefly, they're going to rely on Lacazette, who's got no confidence because you know Aubameyang's mm. not going to play. It's a weird one, that isn't it? He comes to the club and almost like implodes. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I mean, the way Wenger's handled them, you know, I mean, the Zeckles is your as well, isn't it? You know, he gets strikers, he buys them, and then he doesn't fancy them. And, um, you know, when, when, even though the team are underperforming up front, they don't get on the pitch. And no wonder Lacazette hasn't got confidence. I mean, you know, the, the, the two chances he missed at, at, at the end on Saturday, I thought the first one was very difficult. It bounced in a bad place and come up yeah. too high. And the second one, um, you know, he, he pounced on a mistake, which was brilliant. And, you know, should have done better. You know, he, he, you know that, that's, what, that's one he'll look back on and regret. But he, he's he's a good striker, and and the, the the mad thing is when he did play, he seemed to connect more with Sanchez than anyone else in the team, and then of course Sanchez goes, and now he's now now he, he he's got no understand doesn't seem to have understand him with it, many other players, and you know he's he's on the bench even when Arsenal are struggling. It's it, Wenger Wenger was strange after the game. He talked about the Premier League being the priority. And then going, but the Champions League's getting in the Champions League's the priority. Well, they're not going to get in the Champions League through the um, the Premier League. So we better make the Europa League the priority quick. Yeah, uh, Europa League, Celtic are in it. Yeah, you watch quite a bit of football up there. Um, how good are they? And can you give the viewers and the listeners some sort of comparison between Celtic and 
the English Premier League or Championship? I think the the biggest strength and the biggest thing that Celtic have got going for them is the manager and the way that uh, the way that they play football. Um, you can say that they're not going to be tested, but when other sides are playing against Celtic, whether they're playing at Celtic Park or at home, they they raise the game, they raise their effort levels. It's just natural. That's what you do. You you you're spurred on by by playing against big sides. So they've always got that. Even though the quality of the opposition might not be the same as the Premier League, uh, they've still got that competitiveness. And I think going into Europe, I think tactically. Uh, the last couple of seasons, Ben Rodgers got spot on. You know, even against Manchester City, he did well. Uh, I think it was, we did the John nil nil with him. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, it's much more. Um, Ben Rogers is, is more comfortable in this arena. He tactically now he's he's uh, he's progressed, and, and I think that he, he more than anyone he's gonna he's gonna enjoy this, and uh, think that uh, like I said it, going into these games it, it gives him a, a, a bit more of an upper hand than than if you're looking at saying it's a Scot just a Scottish club in Europe. Mm. He's got his eye on. Um... Uh, Celtic are a big club. Let's not, not get that wrong. But he's got his eye on uh, where he sees his bigger things as Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal definitely. I mean, you know, he probably thinks there's a sniff of Chelsea at some point. Um, he, he wants to be at the top table in the Premier League. Mm. More than a sniff of Chelsea going around at the moment. Antonio Conte, he seems to me to be completely demob happy. He's basically saying, come on, sack me. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, part of... Part of it would it would suit them both to limp to the end of the season, but um, he's in that position where he's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Um, it, it, you know, when he signed up for this, uh, he hasn't got where he thought he was going to get. Uh, he's had very little control over transfers. He's been left with a squad which he inherited a squad which was unbalanced, worked miracles with it, and uh, it hasn't got very much more balanced in all his time there. And you can see why he's unhappy. I mean, when you think. This will be the third consecutive Chelsea manager to have won the league and then, then be out of there the following season. Mm. That's just utterly remarkable. And I think he's got no illusions. He's been, he's been unhappy almost from the start. Mm. I mean, certainly, from, um, certainly after the first transfer window of his Chelsea tenure. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if the first leg against Barcelona goes wrong wrong they replace them between legs and in with the vague notion of 2012 again well there's news for them they haven't got players with the mental robustness that the 2012 team who could pull together and fight what they've got there is a bunch of players who are not turning in performances if that scenario unfolds as tony predicts we could have luis enrique who's been sending out the signals that he's ready to come to england going back to the new camp or going back to, to compete against uh, yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, well, you, you wonder if that's what's, what, what's the, the motivation is, you know, to, to bring that narrative in and, and sort of, if it doesn't go well that first uh, that first game, it's they're, they're going to need something special going mm. going back to Spain. But it's uh, it, when you look at Conte, you just you just see he's like, it, it's not that he's not bothered, but it's be kind of it's this is not my problem. Because the players that have been brought in have, have maybe not been the ones that he wanted. Mm. You know, I think uh, I really like Zappa Costa. I think he's done a good job at right back when he plays at right back. Morata's been a good signing. Mm. He's, he's, he's been injured, uh, but the rest of them have kind of just been good players, but not great. And I think that's uh, that's it's kind of sort of like his uh, his mm. protest against. Well, I'm back, I'm back. Yoko's stunk the place out, hasn't he? Well, you know, it, it's. 
it's, it's unfortunate how, how badly he's been playing. And he just, he, he's sometimes you've, you have sympathy for players. I mean, even watching Ross Barkley the other week against uh, Bournemouth, I felt really sorry for him because one, he's new at the club, he's still got to get to know the, the players, but you could see the, the clever movement of Pedro and of uh, Eden Hazard. Yeah. And then and then Ross Barkley's like sort of kind of looking over his shoulder thinking, well, where should I be now? And it was uh, it, it does take time for people to 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 uh, to assimilate into teams, but at the same time, I think there's a big expectation when these fees appeared that they can just seamlessly go into ties. Mm. And you know, in in increasingly over the the, the, the period that Conti's been there, in almost every press conference that's been, you know, ask the board, <laughs> not yeah. my players. You know, mm. the board are going to have to make some decisions soon, simply because not just the manager. If you look at Real Madrid, there's a lot of you know understated courtship rituals going on between them and Hazard and also Courtois. Mm. Could they lose both? It's possible, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think there's more chance of Hazard going to the Bernabeu sort of next season than there is Neymar. So I think uh, uh, it'd, be, it'd seem to be a more natural replacement for Ronaldo and the system that they've used so far, although they'll probably rip it up, you know, anyway. But yeah, it's um, there's certainly an element of disenchantment from both players about how life at Chelsea's developed. And, um, and if that happens, then they've got real problems. Mm. Talking of disenchantment, Dave, what about the relationship between Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba? Not all sweetness and light, is it? Well, it, it certainly wasn't yesterday. I mean, for, for good reason as well. I mean, for for the for the hour that he played, he, he, Pogba's touch was off. Uh, he's given balls away. Himself and Lukaku sort of they, they look sluggish. You can you can see why the the criticism that come at them, and it was everything that was bad about the what United how United have played and. If, if it wasn't for sort of Martial and uh, and Sanchez, they who they looked like they had a little bit of quality, uh, and they, they looked as if there was going to be a clinical edge. It was going to come from them too, but with uh, yeah, you're right with Paul Pogba, it just seems to be he's he's Jose Mourinho's not protecting him in any way now. Uh, you know he. he he had the talk with them at the side of the pitch uh, last week, mm. and this time he wasn't afraid just to bring. I mean, even before Newcastle scored, he was preparing to bring Michael Carrick on for for him anyway. The problem with Mourinho is that well, the problem with Pogba is he's not a thinking footballer. You know, he's he's perfect for the Premier League and his physicality and his pace and his power, but he's 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 not. You know, he's um, he's not the brightest in football terms, and Mourinho, <laughs> Mourinho distrusts Flair. But loves loves thinking footballers. I mean, compare Lukaku and Pogba to say Drogba and Lampard. You know, he, he likes that sort of player. The players who will think I'm work. And and if you you don't get that combination, Mourinho quickly falls out of love with you and doubts you, points the finger at you, and um, hangs you out to dry. Mm. And the essence of man management is obviously getting the best out of the particular group of players that are given to you. How can you do that? When let's like let's look at Mourinho and Luke Shaw. He praises Luke Shaw for his diligence and the way he's come back. Gives him a new contract or an extra year on his contract. Bosh, he's immediately dropped. What sort of message does that send out? Well, I mean, it, it is like to give him with one hand, take him with the other, and it's it, it, you don't know what's 
what goes on behind the scenes. Sometimes some managers they they like to keep you on your toes, so they they don't sort of uh, keep you in the loop. They they can be a little bit aloof. I don't imagine Jose Mourinho is like that. I think he's probably straight down the line. He tells people what they think. Um, but sometimes you can play too many mind games, and and in the end, players don't know where they stand or whether they, yeah you know the managers you know, the managers. Uh, future or not so it's it's a difficult one to, to do and I think for me it looks as if Mourinho likes that part of the job is, uh, more than the actual football at the moment I think yesterday he was he was a lot more graceful because uh, gracious in defeat because it was Newcastle it's uh, his ex-mentor's sort of cathedral Bobby Robson and uh, he's very gracious in defeat afterwards but I think uh, other than that, he, he he left all the mind games uh, uh, privately seeding. He was a living embodiment of Rafa Benitez's favourite statement: "Football is a lie." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got Newcastle for one second. Uh, new goalkeeper made his debut, uh, Martin uh, Dupravka, from Sparta Prague. To be perfectly honest, not many people knew anything about him. He was exceptionally good, wasn't he? Brilliant. He could not have wished for a better debut. I think. Um, I mean, it was, it was all a big surprise uh, when the the lineups came out. First, it, it was an attacking lineup, named two strikers in the uh, two forwards in the side, and also uh, putting Dubravka in for his first game. Uh, and it could have gone either way. You know, if if they're from if United's from three are on song, then they can destroy anybody. Doesn't matter who's in goal. Mm. But um, just from the very start, everything he did is just a, a gradual build up to the, the great save from Marshall his feet come to the penalty spot area to take crosses and it just it wasn't just settling him down settled the whole side down settled the whole stadium down and it kind of uh, the, the, the confidence just sort of uh, bred from there and he's uh, he's someone who at first came to my attention when he was in he was playing for SBR in, in Denmark um, he was very highly thought of but then he went back he went to the Czech Republic Slovan Liberec and, and even last summer he was a free agent when he went to Sparta Prague and um, and only come to, to Newcastle's attention sort of in the, the last month or two. And, and 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 credit to Simon Smith and, and the goalkeeping coach and to Rafa because they've sifted through a lot of goalkeepers. It's an area they've wanted to to strengthen and uh, and Rafa bringing his own keeper and uh, he, he's uh, he's done well by this one. Mm, you know you know Rafa pretty well, Tony. He'd have loved yesterday, wouldn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. He's um, he. he... I don't think Jose Mourinho was his favourite person, so it's uh, and you know he, he he's he's desperate not only to to get safety for Newcastle, he'd love to be able to kick on with them and you know take them into contention, get them into that top six or seven, and maybe win a trophy. I think increasingly he's feeling that's not going to happen because of the way the ownership situation is, and um, which will be a great shame for Newcastle if he leaves in the summer. Mm. We mentioned management, very delicate difficult job. Wayne Rooney's been talking about his ambition to be manager of Everton. Realistic? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Wayne's brighter than most people give him credit for. And I think he showed that when he did some uh, the, the television analysis over the last week or two. I think he's, um, he's, he's more thoughtful about the game than most. I think he's a long, long way from becoming a manager. Um, I think he's have to serve a significant apprenticeship to develop. But I don't think it's out of the question. I certainly don't think it's out of the question. Um, and he's committed to football, and I think uh, he'll stay in the game afterwards. You've been in dressing rooms, David. Are there players that strike you as potential managers, even when they're playing? Yeah, but surprisingly, the, the ones that go on to be successful and the ones who sort of become the most diligent at it are probably the ones that you don't expect it. And I think it's, 
it's it's those people who have that um who were surprised themselves by it, who never thought they'd be going to management, and then they get a taste for it, and then it's the, the hunger that drives them. And uh, and sometimes with, with with Wayne, it's he's had such focus on him from a very early age that that focus becomes, it, 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 it's not just about physical burnout, it's about mental burnout as well. And when you become a manager and, and even just a coach, that's, uh, that focus and the attention you put in football it, it more than doubles because it becomes a 24-7 job. And the other thing is, I think it's more difficult for forwards who are, you know, sort of, who are by nature selfish, you know, because they want to score goals, but also, you know, they're, they, they're not looking up the pitch to see what the, the opposition mm. are doing. You know, they're, they're, they're always sort of turning and, and, and running that way, hoping for the ball. You know, I think it's easier for defenders and midfielders and, and goalkeepers who, who can see what, what's going on right across the pitch. Mm. Got some questions from the listeners and the viewers. Uh, David Giles asks uh, Tony, "Is Manchester City's spending sustainable?" Well, yeah, it is. I think um, they've satisfied uh, UEFA's financial fair play committee, and um, they've actually gone to great lengths to to make sure they've done that. Uh, not like PSG, or a bit like who cares? Um, so yeah, I think City's is, and I think uh, the Premier League. Clubs and, and across Europe should be very, very scared. Mm. Keelan McCafferty, David, asks, with the right additions in the summer and also keeping hold of the Gaia, how good can United be next season or will it even matter considering what Pep's up to across the other side of the city? Well, if it continues the same way, then it won't matter. But there's just something not right with United. Like I said yesterday, maybe I've fallen into the trap of, of transfer fees equating to, to performance because it's... It's not working for Manchester United at the moment. They've, uh, I think, they're just lacking a real sort of di uh, direct way of playing, uh, an obvious way of playing. I think yesterday they, they did. Don't get me wrong. Newcastle played very well, and uh, United weren't at the best. And but they still had that clinical quality in their side, and they're relying on that, on those little flashes of of brilliance. When really they, they should be far above that. They should be having sort of, a, like I said, a methodical way of playing, a real way of playing. That you, I just couldn't see that yesterday. Mm. Shane Davitt asks, "Do you think it would be good if clubs had to have at least two youth team players in the starting lineup who'd been with the club for more than five years?" Oh, it'd be brilliant, but good luck with that. <laughs> Try getting that through in this day and age. Um, it would be brilliant. I mean, I still think football is a Football's link to the community is important, and I think uh, seeing a team as the flag bearers of the area around it is, is what made it great. I think the more that 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 contact gets stretched and broken, I think is disturbing. Uh, the, the the one positive thing we talked about City before, City's academy is is very good, and they are committed to getting youth players in. Mm -hmm. So, although if you look at them competitively, the under twenty three team. Are doing badly, the under-18s doing, individual players are coming through. Mm. Is that the nature of, of, of development, David, that, you know, it's just maybe one or two will justify, you know, a £200 million investment? Yeah, well, it, it probably is better off going down that route. I mean, you look at Chelsea, winning, Chelsea's youth teams winning everything mm. and, and, and not many of their players coming through to the uh, to the first team. So, it's, it's, it's in theory, it's it's... It's not about the result; it's about the development of players. Mm. But also, you know, if you're developing the right way, and uh, 
and if the, the, the style of football is going all the way through the club, then mm. there should be a sort of a thread that runs all the way through. I think City are getting them more right than most, although you're the expert on this subject. Well, I don't know say that, mate. <laughs> uh, um, a final question from uh, Billy Hush. Uh, this is probably best for you, David. Uh, there seems to be universal agreement that Liverpool need a new top-of-the-range goalkeeper. So, this coming summer, who should be their number one target? Well, <clears throat> if possible, if they, can, if they can get him, then it has to be Alisson at Roma. I've said this before, and uh, I know they've made inquiries about Butland as well. There's been some discussions there. Uh, and, and as well as Karius has been performing lately, and however, he might go until the end of the season and still keep up the, the same level of performance. It's, it's the same as, the, as bringing Van Dijk in, you know, to, to get to the next level. Uh, and to get the, the two or three places they, the higher they need to be or they, they want to be, they have to have the personnel that's capable of doing that. And so defensively and in goal, they have to do that. So it's, I can still see Karras being there next season. Of course, he will be. Mignolier, probably not. But um, definitely, there'll be a new goalkeeper next season. OK. So we'll end it all by going back to where we started, the Champions League. Just a final question, briefly, if we could. Do you expect a Premier League team to win it this season? If so, who? No. That's quick. No, but I think uh, Manchester City have got a very good chance. I agree that they're the best equipped. Yeah. I know this isn't original, but I can't see beyond City. I think the dynasty is upon us. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>